Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Like guys already breaking quarantine. And it seems like some of it may just be a mistake. And for others, I don't know, maybe somebody didn't care. We have two guys that already broke it and then they get thrown back into, uh, into quarantining. So get a teammate who can actually not break the rules and not have to be sent into a 10-day quarantine um, like we've seen with a couple of players. But again, not the end of the world. Not a huge deal. Both marginal. Well, one's a nice role player. The other one barely plays. Um, again, get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Today's plan is pretty simple. Um, we're going to have Matt Walsh on, who is the CEO of the New Zealand Breakers. And the reason I want to have him on is I want to ask about the league and um, how they feel about having young players come in. And they're kind of bailing on the season. We saw that with RJ Hampton. He had an injury, LaMelo moving on. But I'd imagine he's going to tell me it's still worth it because it's just the awareness, the brand awareness for the clubs and the league in general. Um, so I want to talk to him about that. He played overseas a million different places. And, you know, he's a guy I've followed for a while. So we will uh, we'll check in with him. Two NBA games to his career. We have one life advice that we'll do at the end. And I'm just going to keep doing these at the end of the pods until we probably crank back up into the sports here. But I don't want to do an all life advice pod because I, I don't think that that's going to be, um, that's pretty much like, hey, we still had nothing. So he did five questions from dudes on emails here. But we have people actually wanting to follow up after we've read their email. So I don't know how interesting that is. I found it interesting, so maybe I'll share it with you a little bit at the end. Um, but I did want to start with um, with a couple things off of the Cam Newton conversation and cam in a sit down with odell and todd Gurley and victor cruz they were kind of doing a video post um cam was asked straight up he was like you know how do you feel about going to new england he said quote you know who you're coming after i'm like yeah great what he was what he is he is great needs no talking about it uh, needs no even talking about it but one thing about it though coach josh mcdaniels you're able to call some of the stuff that you ain't been able to call now uh, you're getting a dog. You're getting one of these ticked off dogs. Again, this is Cam describing coming up after Brady, working McDaniels, and then talking about himself. He goes, you're getting a ticked off dog. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, who are we playing? The team passing me. Okay, the team passing me. They could have came and got me. Um, Newton also said that when his agent reached out about Belichick, he had said, you know, what? what's up with Belichick? Like, how will he and I mesh? Now, the reason I bring this up, because I thought it was really good, I thought it was really self-aware from Cam, um, because following Brady isn't exactly anything you would want to do. You wouldn't set out to be like, hey, who's been there for 20 years and been one of the best quarterbacks of all time, arguably the most successful as far as winning. Um, but I've always thought that's kind of a loser mentality advice. And I have said this, and I believe in this. This is not something where I thought about it earlier on. It's something I'd learned or observed early on where whenever I was kind of setting out to do whatever I wanted to do, and the same stuff's going to happen to you guys, no matter what industry you're in, you're going to get a lot of loser advice. You just are. And I don't know what that is. I think I know what it is, so I'll, I'll share with you. I'm not 100% convinced of it, but I feel like if you're trying to do something a little different or you're taking a bit more of a risk, or you're starting, you know, you want to get in with a new company that's not as established, and it can always be older people that, you know, or not of the mindset 
they're probably a little bit more risk averse as they're older. It could be relatives and people that care about you and don't want to see you struggle as much and would like you just to have security and they know, hey, your next, your next job, 20, 30 years, where most of you listen to that, you'd probably be horrified. But I always felt like older people in particular always gave me worse advice because they didn't really want to take the kind of risks that that maybe I was willing to take. Um, even getting into sports, it was just, oh, that's stupid. There's no money in that. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like it can take a really long time, but if it's something you're good at, maybe it'll work out for you. Uh, I remember one guy in particular was just like, just dumping on the whole thing, being like, now just sell insurance, sell insurance. And I was like, I'm 25, I'm 26. Like, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and take this risk. Now, when I look at sports, the thing we have always accepted, like we've accepted this as some kind of rule that you don't want to be the person that follows the great person. And it can happen with players like Tom Brady and Cam Newton, but it also happens with coaches. They say this all the time about coaches. Hey, you don't want to be the guy that follows that guy. Does anyone want to try to live up to Nick Saban's legacy in Alabama after Saban decides at some point to call it quits? No, you wouldn't say, hey, I want to try to compete with somebody that you're not going to be better than. Whoever replaces Saban in Alabama, this isn't exactly breaking news, that person's never going to be better than Nick Saban. The person that replaces Coach K at Duke, there is literally no chance that next coach is going to be as good as Coach K or as successful. It's not going to be. And on top of the fact that I mean, Saban didn't build Alabama, but Kay essentially built Duke. But if you're a coach that loves what Duke is and knows that they can win and compete with anyone and you have the support of an administration, is, isn't it okay to go, well, yeah, I know I'm not going to be Coach K, but I'm going to go ahead and coach at Duke because I love Duke. Duke is one of the handful of jobs anyone in my industry would want. But I think people would tell you, and I think guys that do what I do, be like, oh, you don't want to do that. So what are you supposed to do? Go somewhere else where they're not as equipped to win? Go somewhere else less historic? Uh, somewhere that's actually harder to recruit? It's the same thing with Alabama. Whoever replaces Saban will know, unless there's some massive SEC correction coming that I can't see happening anytime soon. And yes, things are cyclical. So when people say the Pac-12 is, is toast forever and it does look really bad and you look at some of the talent coming in and the talent coming out, I'm like, all right. It doesn't look great now, but I just I just never really buy into the stopping of any of the cyclical success. Like at some point, the SEC is not going to be the best conference. But does that mean that Alabama is not going to be equipped to win football games? Like, how does that happen? Is Alabama always now the fact that Alabama was actually bad now seems impossible with Saban. But if you're the right coach and guess what? Alabama is going to hire somebody, although that whole game becomes really interesting because it was almost Rich Rodriguez. But. If you're someone that's really successful and you're pretty confident in your own abilities, would you listen to guys like me that do this for a living being like, ah, oh, that's just too much of a hassle. You're going to be held to some standard. It's going to be impossible. Like, why would you want to do that to yourself? That just seems like a massive waste of time. Don't do that. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of loser mentality. And that's what brings me back to Cam Newton, because we could do the whole thing with all of these different legendary college coaches in basketball and football. Um, we could do it to some degree. I don't think people really care as much. Um, you know, peak Phil Jackson, like Tim Floyd was like, good, sign me up. You know, I don't care how much is the check. Krause has been recruiting me here for years anyway. But if you're Cam, would you rather go somewhere else that's a total question mark, a coach that's maybe on the hot seat, or go to a place like New England 
that you know is always going to be competing. And I still think, despite all the concerns about the roster this year, I don't know. The tanking thing I never believed because it's not true. Six and ten just seems low for any Belichick team. And there's really no one else in the AFC East that's established themselves enough where you think, okay, New England's clearly behind all of these other teams. So if you're Cam, you could go, well, I don't want to follow Brady. That's going to suck. And then do what? Go to the Bears? Go to the Bears and, and run an offense right now that we're still not sure what's going to happen? Be replacing Trubisky, who, you know, it's probably over for Trubisky. And I know what they've put into Foles. So, you know, maybe pre-Foles, Cam could have gone there if he wanted to. I don't know if Chicago had interest in him. But there are other teams. There's other better examples than in Chicago of, like, why would you go, I want to go to a worse organization. I want to play for a worse coach. I want to go set up where it's probably a lot harder for me to succeed just because I don't want to deal with the hassle of following up a legend. Everyone in New England knows Cam Newton isn't Brady. No one expects him to have some kind of run, some second half of his career run that's going to be you know, an AFC title game basically every other year of your career. I don't think anyone is really expecting that. I think if you're a New England fan, what you're seeing here is an opportunity with a healthy cam to be much better at that position than you are right now with Poyer and Stidham. But I love that Cam's mentality is, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm aware of it, just like the rest of you guys are aware of it. But to have that be the deciding factor for me to not go play for Belichick makes no sense. And I think that's one of those things where there's always this gap, the separation between people that actually play sports and those of us that talk about it. Um, I love that he did it, and I love that he's aware, and I love that he doesn't really care. Hey, let's talk a little Miller Lite here. During this time of social distancing, connecting with friends over beer today looks pretty different, right? So as the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together in real life through Miller Time. Miller Time is a moment for people to come together in real life to connect over a few beers, but obviously having Miller Time is tough when you can't be with your people. Everyone's in the same boat. Local bars are temporarily closed. Events have been canceled and social distancing is in full effect. Although getting together with a few friends in real life isn't really an option. Miller Lite can still be enjoyed with your people, just not in bars or at gatherings. So how can you do Miller Time right now? Well, if it's not just, you know, being stuck with your roommates or your your wife or your husband, um, Zoom has changed the way we've done podcasts. Let Zoom change the way that you've done Miller Time because that's that's possible. There's a lot of different apps out there. People have been doing that more and more. In California, you're going to start doing it even more because um, we're heading in the wrong direction. So shout out to Miller Time in Southern California. Um, I think the coolest thing um, once, I don't know, once all this stuff opens up again, uh, <laughs> so I'm sitting here smiling, thinking about how how unbelievably distant that date now seems where I live um, because we have not done a good job. But um, Miller Lite is the beer that makes Miller time possible. So if you're in a place where things are looking great, start counting down those days to Miller time. Miller Lite is the original light beer that tastes great and is less filling, which means it won't get in the way of enjoying time with your people. Uh, Miller Lite, I think the great thing about Miller Lite is there's three left and there's there's two of you a Miller Lite guy would be like hey you're my guest you're getting 66% of those last three if you want you can have Miller Lite delivered right now you can do pickup from uh, some of your local bars or restaurants Uh, and remember Miller Lite the original light beer 
when you're home enjoy a classic available for delivery today celebrate responsibly miller brewing company milwaukee wisconsin 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces okay i've wanted to talk to this guy for a while uh we uh i have all these questions about new zealand basketball his career as well you know him as matt walsh is the ceo of the new zealand breakers um played at florida two games in the nba right <laughs> oh yeah that big time career <laughs> Well, look, you're in you're in basketball <laughs> reference, so at least it's in there. So, uh, you play the two games. You know, you, you end up becoming an, an overseas guy throughout your entire you know your playing career, and then you end up running this team in New Zealand. How did that transition happen? Knowing that okay, you know, eventually, like I'm never coming back to the NBA, and I got to think about the rest of my life. Yeah, I recently found out that I'm the only player in NBA history that is 100% from the free uh, field goal percentage and 0% free throw percentage. So I'm one for one from the field and 0 for two from the foul line. So um, you missed both free throws. Missed both wow. free throws. Sat on the bench for you know two hours. Came in at the end of the game. Missed two free throws short. Um, and that was the last two shots I ever took in the NBA. So um, yeah, I went on to play in Europe a bunch, and then I retired and. I was very fortunate that uh, one of my business partners now, Jason Levian, who at the time, um, you know, he's, I know Jason. yeah, so owned the Grizzlies and the Sixers and now DC United and Swansea City, gave me an opportunity to see what it was like in the sports ownership management space. I retired in 2015. I was playing in Turkey at the time. I had a pretty good year. I was, you know, I led the league in scoring. I was an all star. I was only 31, but I was just kind of at the point where I was ready to do something else. And, um, Jason opened the door and gave me the opportunity to learn from him. This opportunity came through a mutual friend who had worked for the club as a consultant for a number of years, someone I think you'll know, Jonathan Cavoni, who works for ESPN. He said, you should take a look at this. This league's about to take off. I came out here, fell in love with the country, uh, did some due diligence on the team and decided that this was what I, was, I, I wanted to do for the next few years. When you're playing overseas and you're lighting it up, are you always thinking maybe I'm going to – have a chance i mean obviously at that point you're probably a better player i'm sure you were just a better basketball player mature and that kind of stuff where you're thinking you know let me go back to the nba or do you know you could have even made a team like how do you go through all that knowing that your goal is probably still to come back home 100 percent. until you take your last dribble you're thinking up oh, you know you never know and that's just i think the nature of it and i think that's what made me so competitive but um yeah i mean you're always thinking that the reality is my time had passed and I realized that when, you know, I was that age, 31. So I, I, when I realized that and the grind of going overseas every year, um, it was something I was just ready to move on. But um, there's certainly in the back of your head, you're always thinking, you never know who's watching, even though nobody's watching most of the time. <laughs> um, when I have seen, this is really the biggest thing that I wanted to ask you about. And, you know, I remember being at ESPN when RJ Hampton makes his announcement that he's going to play for you guys. Lamelo ends up on another team, and when I watched, especially more Lamelo, not so much RJ. RJ was looked like he had to kind of fit in with your guys and wasn't getting a ton of minutes. Lamelo got to do basically whatever he wanted, which I have to imagine at some point some of the veteran players were like this sucks, um, and the team wasn't very good. But do you is, is the Australian Basketball League like? Are you okay with the arrangement to have kids come in, make a splash? not even play the full season, kind of use you as something going against the one and done, knowing that you're getting all of this attention. Like, is that, is it worth it, even though it's certainly not an ideal basketball arrangement? We're certainly conscious of it. 
And um, I think what people need to remember is last year was the first year of the program. So we were the first team to ever secure a next star. I worked with the Hampton family for six months to sell them on the fact that I thought this was the best place for him to develop. Um, RJ moved over here with his family, wonderful family. And um, like you said, two totally different circumstances, right? Uh, Lamelo yeah. Lamelo was playing 38 minutes, putting up triple doubles, shooting, you know, seven for 27 in games, supreme talent. And he got to show what he can do. And RJ, you know, we wanted, we, we were in a position where we wanted to win. We had Scotty Hobson, former NBA player, really high level guys are basically the whole New Zealand national team is our, are the locals here. So we had a little bit different scenario. Um, I think we learned a lot on both sides. Overall, I would do it a hundred times out of a hundred again. Um, like I said, we learned a lot, you know, we had never dealt with a talent like RJ, uh, you know, it was only my second year in ownership. Um, so there were some ups and some downs, obviously he ended up leaving a little bit early cause he was injured, but we're conscious of it. We know that these kids are using the MBL as a platform and a springboard to get to the NBA. And for us, it's about trying to find that balance of finding players who can help us win. We're going to bring great attention to the league and the team and also be a contributor, a positive contributor to the team. So. Like what were some of the challenges to somebody like RJ? Hmm. Well, um, look, he was supremely talented, but he, him and his family moved here. First time living out of the state, so much pressure. You know, he was the first one to commit even above, you know, LaMelo has all the Instagram followers and everything, but RJ was the first one who basically said, I can go to school. I've got the grades, but I'm going to pass up Kansas. I'm going to pass up Duke and I'm going to go play in New Zealand. So he had a lot of pressure on him. Um, and I don't know that it was challenges. It was just, like I said, a learning process for us because we were very conscious that his ultimate goal is to get to the NBA. He was also wanted to win, wanted to contribute. But it's not easy for, especially at that position, at the point guard position to come in. Our league is filled with imports that are borderline NBA players. Bryce Cotton, Casper Ware, Jerome Randall, all guys that have played in the NBA that are coming at these guys next. And it's a tough situation. And we knew there was going to be some ups and downs on the court and off the court. And there was, but overall, like I said, it was a great experience. RJ is a great kid, great family. And we're looking forward to him playing in the NBA for a lot of years and being part of his story. So you'll, you'll do this again, no matter like you, you, are you consciously recruiting then for the next kid that doesn't now granted the, the draft rule is going to change here. So maybe, maybe this doesn't happen anymore, but like the fact that you had worked with the family for that long, I didn't know that you had been selling them on that for months and months. So how does that, how does that change for you at all? Um, as you guys try to figure that out? Yeah, we're certainly we're having conversations now with guys. Obviously, the whole COVID thing is throwing a wrench in in everyone's plans because nobody knows what the NCAA season is going to look like. Um, we've been very fortunate here. We're COVID free. So I feel like I live two lives, my Twitter life where I'm looking and seeing all the stuff that's going on worldwide. And then our life here is just normal. There's no COVID. So um, but we're, we're recruiting players and I think we'll have a next star next year, assuming we can get them in the country, especially with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, the New Zealand uh, COVID stats are the the envy of everyone else. Although I do argue with some of my friends when they when they'll bring up like it's four, it's under five million people, and it's not exactly the center of the international like traveling hub either. Like I just I think sometimes, and I'm certainly not um, I, I'm not sitting here as an American being defensive about it. I'm just going like to think that what New Zealand did is what we could have done here. Like that's. That's not exactly apples to apples. Are you trying to tell me that an island nation surrounded by water of 5 million people is not the same as 50 states with th <laughs> over 300 million people? Uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't argue that. No, I mean, we're, we're very different. I know. I, 
very different circumstance, uh, but we were fortunate. I mean, we just went in total lockdown. The prime minister here did a great job, but there's, you can't compare it. You know, there's nowhere we you can't compare us to anywhere in the world. Like you said, we're very unique. We're very fortunate, but there's no sense in anyone in the state saying we could have done this as well because it, it wouldn't have been possible. We'll get some more stories here with Matt Walsh, but first, Whoop is a fitness wearable that I've been using the last few months to track my training, sleep, and recovery, and it's been awesome. The key to Whoop is that you wear it all day long and never miss a beat. They have a really smart charging system, and the battery lasts forever, and the battery pack slides right on top of the strap so you never have to take it off the charge. You won't even have to worry about losing a night of sleep or missing a workout. Whoop has been all over the news lately after the PGA Tour procured 1,000 straps for its golfers, caddies, and staff to help everyone at tournaments stay safe throughout this pandemic. Whoop has been using respiratory rate to help members detect potential signs of illness before other symptoms develop. With Whoop, you receive workout goals from its strain coach that pairs your recovery to a certain strain level. If your body is recovering, you're going to want to take a rest day. Now, if you're ready to go, it's going to recommend that you push it. So stop overtraining and start catering your workouts to your body's recovery. You can track your stages of sleep down to the minute. Each morning, check out how much REM or deep sleep you got from the previous night and actually understand how well you're sleeping, not just how many hours you were in bed for. That's the big, big separator on this deal is that just because you get in bed, it knows you're not asleep. So if you're one of those people that take a little bit longer to fall asleep or you're somebody who goes right out, which I envy the hell out of you, um, Whoop is going to separate all those things because Whoop custom tailors its sleep recommendations to each member based on their baselines and how active they were during the day. With Whoop, you get really a personal trainer on your wrist that helps you learn your body and make smarter lifestyle choices. For my listeners, Whoop is offering 15% off the code Rosillo at checkout. So go to Whoop, that's Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout to save 15%, sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. When you leave the heat, who was your best friend on the heat, by the way? Who was my best friend on the heat? Everyone was pretty cool. Uh, whenever anyone asks me for stories, I always tell stories about Shaq because what you see with Shaq is what you get. He was so kind to me. I was the last man on the bench, and he treated me like an equal. and He was amazing, and I've got all kinds of stories of him driving me home when my car got wrecked for three weeks and all kinds of nonsense we got into. Um, UD, Udonis Haslam was a Gator guy, Florida Gator guy who was my guy. Um, everyone was really cool. Uh, but, you know, when I think back to those memories, I think about Shaq and UD. What's your favorite Shaq story? <laughs> I tell this story all the time. So I was, I came down, I lived at this place called the Flamingo on South Beach. They called it the South Beach dorm. It was like, if you're in your young 20s, this is the place you wanted to be. It had a topless pool. It had all this stuff that when you're 21, you're like, this is, this is where I want to be. And um, I come down to hop in my car to go to practice one day. And as I'm sure you can imagine with the heat, Pat Riley, you can't be late, obviously. I go down and my car is sideways in the parking spot. And the drunk driver had smashed it like overnight. So I'm like, Oh man. I, so I go downstairs. This is before Uber. That's how old I am. I hop in a taxi. I get to practice and I'm telling guys in the locker room. And after practice, Shaq comes up and he's like, he called me wash, <laughs> not Walsh, wash. He's like, wash, I'll give you a ride. Come on. So I'm 21. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm about to get a ride with Shaq. You know, he's my teammate, but still for me, this is still a big deal. So I hop in the car and he had the big infinity truck police cruiser. So we had the lights on and we're going over to South beach. And he looks at me and he goes, you want to take the short way or the long way? And I'm like, what's the long way? And he's like, the long way is we're going to cruise South Beach looking for girls. And I'm like, well, I want to go the long way, obviously. <laughs> so 
for so we you know cruise around he'd pull pull up next to girls and he'd be like this is my boy wash you're gonna give him his number <laughs> and i'm just sitting there like this has got to be a dream i'm texting my buddies on my old like you know you have to type the numbers out when you text back then being like i'm riding with Shaq, and he's trying to get girls for me and for three weeks Shaq gave me a ride home and picked me up for practice and i tell the story because he probably wouldn't even remember you know i'm just one of his hundred some teammates he had throughout his career but for me i was a 21 year old kid my first car i ever bought got damaged and Shaq was the one who came up to me after practice and was like don't worry about it like i got you i'll take care of you and I tell that because I think that just speaks to the kind of guy he was. Um, he treated everyone the same. And uh, I've got a lot of stories like that. But um, he also used me as a shield because I never sweat. I never got in the game. So he got injured early in the season. He'd just grab me and make me sit next to him so he didn't get sweaty on the bench. He was a character. He was pretty good. Was it weird for you being on that team and, and probably like no one believing you? When you're in the city, because <laughs> yeah. it's—I mean, you're what six six? So you're—I mean, you're tall, but you're not like, oh my god, who's that guy tall? So, and then you're never playing. Although the Florida <laughs> thing probably helped a little bit, but it's such an international city, though, that I can imagine there was more times than not where people were like, "There's no way this guy's in the heat." Hundred percent. It, it happened way more times than not. And one of our first road trips that year was Milwaukee, and so we're in Milwaukee. And I'm sure, I mean, it's pretty well known, like when you went to a city with Shaq, he'd have a party the night before a lot of times. So I, I'd go out to the party with Shaq and I'm in there and some guy comes up to me in the VIP area and it's like, like, I'll kick your ass one on one. And I'm like, OK, like, you know, what am I going to do, argue with you? And Shaq comes up. He's like, I got 20K. He'll bust your ass one on one. And they're like defending me and stuff like that. But. Yeah, I mean, of course, nobody believed me when I said I was on the heat. I was a skinny white guy. I'd shave my head. I was goofy looking. They're like, yeah, okay, you're on the heat. You're a tall guy. That's why you're telling like that. So um, <laughs> plenty, uh, plenty of times people didn't believe me. I uh, got to be friendly with Legler at ESPN, and the number of times that he would say, just as the white guy in the NBA, and then somebody would find out who he is, and everyone would just come up and say, I'm, I'll smoke you. I'll play you right now. And I, I just... The level of confidence for the like for the outsider who's played a little bit to just then challenge random white guy <laughs> in the NBA, it's it's probably one of the more like it's just except so it must have happened to you all the time. Like guys, did you ever actually go, all right, screw it, let's play? <laughs> no, never. Um, but it happened all the time. You know, I was constantly getting like looked up and down like you're you're an NBA player or yeah. So um, but it was nice that Shaq had my back there one night. <laughs> So you get done with that 05-06 season, and then what happens? So I get done. I get cut in early December, I think, pretty early on in the season. Um, and then, you know, I tell this to everyone. I'm like, it wasn't a great year. I mean, my NCAA team, my college team that I left, wins a championship. Joe Kim, Al, all these guys. And then my NBA team wins a championship. And everyone asks me, well, do you have a ring? And I'm like, I'd have the ring on, believe me, <laughs> if I got a ring. So it was a tough year just in terms of like emotionally and stress-wise. I didn't go play overseas right away. I played a short time in the G League. I think I'm one of the only guys ever to get banned from the G League at the time because I was playing for the Arkansas Rim Rockers, which doesn't exist anymore, obviously. I was so miserable. I went from Miami, University of Florida, Miami, to Arkansas Rim Rockers. And I went on a road trip and just brought all my stuff and just went home. I was like, I've had enough. I lived in like Section 8 housing in Arkansas where they put you up. It was really, really bad. So I went on a road trip to Charlotte and just got a connector to Philadelphia. 
And I remember getting a call from the commissioner of the NBL or the uh, G League at the time was like, you have to come back or we're going to ban you. And I was like, be my guest, buddy. Like, I'm never, I'm never playing. <laughs> I'm never playing in your, your league again. So, so he said, who was it? They I, actually said, we're going to ban you. Yeah. They're like, we're going to have to ban you if you don't come back. And, <laughs> and I was like, good, good to take your best shot. Like I'm never, ever coming back. And then, um, so that summer I played summer league with the magic. And then I went to preseason and it was actually probably my best shot to stick in the NBA. I played with the New Jersey Nets with Vince Carter and Jason Kidd and they had a full roster. So, you know, looking back, probably should have went to a different training camp, but they had 15. They thought Jeff McGinnis, remember the point guard from North Carolina, they thought he was going to get bought out of his contract in time and I was going to have a real opportunity, but I had a great preseason. I was, you know, one of the first guys off the bench the whole preseason. I put up some good numbers in some preseason games playing for Lawrence Frank. I think that was probably my best chance to actually play and stick. But it just didn't happen, and then from then on, I played overseas. So then you end up in Greece. Um, how do you sort through all the different things that you want to do there? Like, who, who was your agent at the time? Was it Jason? Was, it was Jason, Jason your agent? Yeah. So Jason was yeah. my agent. That's how our relationship started. And when I think about success, I I look at the fact that like ten or twelve years ago, Jason was trying to get me a job in Larissa, Greece, and now he's owned like four franchises. So um, I, I'm pretty sure business wise, you can do anything if you've got the right. Didn't he also? write like campaign speeches for for the clintons yeah so when he was in college he went to the university of michigan he wrote stuff for the clintons and he's been involved in all kinds of things and he's the smartest uh sports business executive i've ever been around i've been fortunate between him and sam porter one of my partners now who works with jason those guys are just absolutely brilliant and have taught me so much without those two guys i wouldn't i wouldn't be where i am now yeah jason's a really impressive guy i i really enjoyed the time it was a while ago it was actually um, IMG did this camp with Coach David Thorpe, who was at ESPN for a really long time, and so it's this whole Bradenton thing. And he's a big Joe Kim guy. Um, he's a Florida guy too, and so I, I'm sure you probably know him if you know Jason this well. Yeah. And they did this this event. It was a really weird. Like the whole concept was, you pay a little bit of money, and then we're going to put you through this kind of like four day boot camp of what it's like to get ready for the NBA draft. But I went down to write for a diary, but I was an idiot because I didn't get it okayed. I just said, hey, I want to go do this thing and then write it. And they were like, fine, go ahead, write it. But it's going to be – at that point, I didn't even think I was with Van Pelt yet at the time. So we went down and we just did all sorts of drills. And you know, we did um, basically like a social media coach. We had this guy who was like an acting coach who actually does a ton of really cool stuff now. He's an elf. And um, – Basically, the whole thing was diet training, the whole whole setup. And uh, Jason, Jason was there at the time. We, you know, we were playing pickup games and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Jason, like you're sitting there and you're you're at this event, and then you sit down and you're like, okay, so this guy wrote speeches for the Clintons, and he's this big time agent, and he's been part of all these different transactions for franchise. So, so he's sorting through the different uh, international. How different is that than? the way free agency works for international teams versus how we understand it here in the States. Yeah, I think it's very different, um, which I learned later on, but this was my first experience. So I literally finished training camp with the Nets, got cut on the final day. Lawrence Frank was the best. He was so cool. Uh, We played in Philly, our last preseason game, and he knew probably I was going to get cut. So he put me in first off the bench, let me play a bunch in front of my family. Just awesome guy. But he was like, look, we've got this opportunity in Greece. At that time, it was one of the best leagues in Europe. I was just like, all right, I guess, I guess this is what I'm doing. So I, you know, I flew to Greece. I'd never left the country before. Um, but it's very different. It's just, it's, it all relies on agents contacting these hundreds of teams, 
putting, you know, sometimes highlight tapes together. It's a very different process. Nowadays, everything's consolidated, but, and it's a little bit easier and more professional. But back then it was just a matter of relationships and making calls and using European agents to get you jobs and giving a cut of your commission and all these kind of crazy things. Yeah. Cause that part of it, I, I've always heard these different stories where like some places they'll bring you in, you don't make as much money, but then they give you like a home and then a townhouse somewhere else and then cars, and then they don't have you pay taxes. Uh, it's, it's just, it sounds like a free for all. A lot of these places. It is. And all that stuff's true. So everywhere I went, I got a house and a car for the year. Everything is net of taxes. So if you sign for 300 K team pays all your taxes. So um, it's really good money. I mean, there's guys in Europe who are making a couple million bucks tax-free, like Nick Calathis uh, from Florida, point guard, played in the league yeah. for a little bit. He's making four or five million, I would imagine, tax-free in Europe, um, three or four at least. So, I mean, you have a pretty good setup. The only thing you're on the hook for is food and partying. Everything else, you know, is taken care of. How come no <laughs> one ever stays anywhere more than a year? It seems like every one of you guys, it's like one year out and then you're somewhere else in the world. Well, I didn't stay anywhere because I was a crazy person because I was thinking I should be in the NBA. And I was, a, you know, I was like I always on to the next job. The next job would be what got me in the NBA. But, you know, you see it more times than but back in the day now with players sticking around a little bit. But it's just the nature of it. Teams and now being on the ownership side, you see it. You're always thinking. Ah, that guy was pretty good, but we could probably upgrade a little bit. We could probably get someone better. But um, when you get a really good player, like we had Scotty Hobson, I mentioned him last year, you try and bring those guys back. But these guys are hired guns. It's it's tough to, you know, they're always looking for the next best, best thing, and so are we. Was there a stop that you absolutely hated? Like, without question, this was the worst <laughs> place I played. Man, I'll tell you, living-wise, Charleroi, Belgium was pretty bad, man. Um, I played there a number really? of times. I was near Brussels, which was cool. Um, great basketball-wise. It was awesome. Like, had a great experience there. Played with another former Gator teammate of mine, Justin Hamilton, and a bunch of really good guys. But, man, that city was gray and not great. Um, other than that, I was fortunate. You look at the places I played. I mean, I played in Greece, France, Spain, Germany, Italy. I played in a bunch of cool places, and um, I enjoyed my time for the most part. What was your favorite place? I love Greece, man. I, I didn't maximize it my first year there because, like I said, I was miserable. I did a lot of partying. I probably wasn't the best teammate to be around because I had just come from the NBA and I was thinking that that's where I belong. But I ended up playing in Thessaloniki later on in my career for David Blatt. Um, and I just loved it. I just connected with the Greek people, the way of life. I mean, it was it was pretty good. The food, everything. Is, is partying different there for, for pro athletes than it is in the States? I probably, especially early in my career, wasn't the model of health and well-being and taking care of my body. You know, like I, how I, often were you going out? Oh man, going out every I, night. When I was in my prime physically, I was doing a lot of party. Like I would go to Greece, and I remember when I was playing for David Blatt, which you know, if I had any brain cells, I would have been like, okay, I'm really going to focus, and then follow to David to Maccabi and then other places. But man, I'd come out of the club with some of my teammates who would be morning not like getting light out like morning and then you'd have practice at 10 a.m and that time physically i could do it and i was really good at that time like i look back and i was super talented at that time but i don't think i could have done it later in my career when i calmed down some but i was doing a lot of partying early in my career yeah that 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 european thing and it's it's definitely the case in greece and certainly spain but the, the it's like they're trying to make it the most inconvenient 
part of the day. <laughs> like when, when you go to these things and they'll go, well, it doesn't really go off until 6 a.m., but it actually doesn't really pick up until 8. And you just go, what, what is the point? of that what 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 are they trying to prove out there yeah i don't know i mean i remember when i played in spain i was about a half hour outside of barcelona and if you went out in barcelona the traffic stops would be at like 9 a.m the next day so they'd be drunk driving to testing people at 9 a.m on the main strip in barcelona so they're not doing it at 2 a.m they're like okay we got to catch these people who are leaving the club at 9 or 10 a.m so it's yeah i'm glad i don't have to even think about doing that anymore it makes me tired thinking about it I know I'm, I'm exhausted. Just I, like my stomach starting to turn, just the yeah. idea of being, so you would just go right into practice and you had no problem. Yeah, no, I was fine. I, Cause I knew, you know, if we had two practices that day, That's I would nuts. get, get through the first one, sleep for, you know, eat like a gyro or some pizza or some bullshit food. And then I would sleep for three hours and then go and practice and then do it, do it all again. And so at the end, when you were in Turkey, that's 14, 15, are you already talking about kind of trying to transition to do some of the stuff you're doing now? Not really. Um, I had a really good year. The team wasn't great. We got relegated. We had one of those teams that was like, we just rolled through imports the whole year. Marcus Haslip, Jerome Randall, um, Manny Harris, all these guys were like border NBA, borderline NBA guys, Jared Holman. Um, but I finished the season anticipating playing the next season. And then my agent, who I mentioned earlier, my business partner, Sam Porter, left the agency business to go work with Jason. And I blame him for my retirement probably a year or two early because then I didn't find an agent who I really wanted to work with. It was like trying to get a new agent when you're a 32-year-old journeyman trying to get you a job. It was just like, you know, these guys don't care about you. So I was, I basically was just tired of having those same conversations on the team bus every day that I had for 10 years. I was like, you know what? I'm ready to do something else. I don't want to talk about like the NBA results from the night before and the same exact conversation. So like I said, I talked to Jason and Sam and just decided it was time to move on. For every guy that's a borderline NBA player that's playing in these leagues, is there almost like this breaking in period for them where they have to kind of accept it? Because I can imagine that's going to be really, really hard for almost every guy that feels like he should be playing. 100%. 100%. And it's something I'm very conscious of now if we're recruiting guys who are only a year or two out of school or the NBA. Um, because for me, I mean, I was a miserable bastard for like two or three years. I just was. Like I was, I was really, really good. So I was getting jobs uh, at that time in Europe. You know, I went and I was like first team all league in Greece as a rookie, which is just something that doesn't happen back then. But you know, we had Sean Long here who played a very short time in the NBA, high level player, and he dealt with a little bit of that here. But I think with my experience, I was able to help him. But there's no question. I mean, you've got to have these guys who come from big time Division One programs, get a taste of the NBA, and then all of a sudden they have to go play in Europe or, you know, we're a little bit different because this is paradise here. So I tell guys, I'm like, you're never going to have it better than here. You have guys who understand this is like NBA light. But if you go to a place like I did, like I went to Greece and I was living on like a dirt road, really nice place, but there's a farm across the street with like chickens and I'm in a country I've never been. It's a very tough adjustment. So with New Zealand, I, I got to imagine that part of this, you know, whether it's the league and I'm not even saying like specific to RJ, but it, it helped, it helped your awareness. And then maybe you're paying a little bit more attention and then, you know, look, it's a place that I want to go. It's on my, probably the top of my to-do list to travel somewhere. I've wanted to go for a long time, but it's just a matter of, you know, timing it up the right time because the seasons and then knowing whether or not I have, because it's usually in the middle of basketball season when I would want to go there for us back here. Um, 
I know people could be really difficult with the flights and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like you and your league that that there's just a more awareness to it now. And then if people put the research into it and the level of play, like where would you put this league or your league in comparison to the other top Euro leagues? So what I tell everyone and I tell the league and I tell everyone as part of the league all the time, I say, we're the second best league in the world. That's what we need to be putting out there. And that's from a brand standpoint. Now, in terms yeah. of just talent across our league, we're not nearly as good as the top Euro league teams. Some of the Euroleague yep. teams have 50 million Euro budgets, 60 million Euro budgets, you know, Fenerbahce and Barcelona. We're not not anywhere close to that. But we, the way I basically What's the say, team salary for the Breakers? Uh, two million bucks or so. That's the total payroll? Yeah, two million dollars or so total payroll for the, on the player side. Um, but what I tell people is you could place our team with our New Zealand national team players, with our imports. You could put us in the ACB in Spain. You could put us in Greece. You could put us in any of those leagues, and we're going to compete. We'll be a, probably the fourth or fifth best team in the league because we're not going to compete with the early teams, but we're going to be better than all the other teams. And the one thing we, we have that I think is better than anywhere else in the world is, one, obviously English speaking is a huge advantage. advantage. And two, the production value. The owner of our league, Larry Kesselman, and the CEO, uh, Jeremy Lolliger, they've done a great job of investing back in the league. So you watch our games, and it feels like you're watching an NBA game, at least you know NBA light. And um, you go to our game here at Spark Arena, it feels like you're at an NBA game, like the production and everything. So in terms of that stuff, we're the second best league in the world. In terms of talent, you know, we're not we're not as good as those EuroLeague teams. There's no question, but we're getting there. And our import level is that is just like them. We just don't have the number of imports. Like we had Scotty Hobson last year. He can play on any team in the world outside of the NBA. Bryce Cotton, these guys that are in our league, they can play. Mitch Creek, some of these guys are, you know, former NBA players who can play anywhere. I'll admit, I was blown away watching your games on my my Synergy program where the atmosphere was incredible. And there's, look, there's plenty of, of international, but I feel like this is happening in in the best way and that it feels like it's happening faster and faster. It really does. And before when you would say, what the hell is a guy going to New Zealand? For? Like, what's he doing? And I don't think that's really the case right now. And it is rare and as unique as the RJ story is. Um, I think you guys are positioned in a, in a great spot and hopefully we'll get some version of this back here soon. Cause I know you guys are kind of navigating your own issues with some players not wanting to come back. So, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We're, we're, we're dealing with stuff like everyone. So uh, no, no sense in, uh, in whining about it, but um, I think you're hundred percent right. The league has grown. Uh, and now the conversations are a lot different when we're talking to these young guys uh, because of RJ, because of LaMelo, it's a known quantity who we are and, and the product that we have so it's a lot easier when we're talking to these top prospects they're like oh yeah the new zealand breakers which is funny when you consider two and a half years ago when i bought this team there was no american ownership in the league now four teams are owned you know brian colangelo came in with the hawks and he's going to run that team so the fact that the nbl and the breakers are like you know you could talk to a basketball fan in the states and they'll know who the breakers are is something that we're proud of here yeah you should be um and i don't like the whole premise of when I first wanted to talk to you is after I watched a bunch of those guys' games, I was like, wait, are they, is everybody okay with this? Because the Lamelo situation <laughs> on his team, like I couldn't imagine being an older player and being like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is what we're going to do every night? They weren't, and, yeah, I can tell you it wasn't, it wasn't great uh, in terms of the team atmosphere <laughs> and stuff like that, no question. <laughs> dude, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't take a detective to figure that out, but, but I don't even know what kind of number like there's so many fake valuations of different things, but whatever the number is, I don't know what it would be. It's just for for those two players to show up and bring you that kind of 
awareness, the, the eyeballs. So, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, we had just a, we had two over 2 million people watch our games on Facebook live when we played the, the Illawarra Hawks. So that's a mess. That's a massive, massive number. Uh, you know, 2 million people in the States watching a game in that's the NBL, crazy. which, and twice we had that. So it was pretty cool. That's why we're talking to a bunch of young guys now. And depending on what's happens with the college season, I think you're going to have some high profile guys over here, assuming that we can get them over here. Sounds good. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Talk soon. Let's get one life advice in here before we close it out. Again, you can email lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. A follow-up on our pizza guy from previously, we ended up corresponding and I um, I want to make it clear to everybody that, yeah, it was just an age thing. So I think he was a little bummed out hearing it after the fact, but he's got to understand where I'm coming from because if I sound dismissive about anything like that, then I'm, um, I'm the bad guy. And so I just wanted to be safe with it. But yeah, it was simply an age thing. He's 33, she's 20. Um, he's also trying to date in Massachusetts, which isn't anything I'd advise to anybody. Um, so I, uh, I think he, he probably hearing these, I think guys send these in and then when I pick them, they're like horrified, which is kind of a weird thing. Cause it's like, you're the one who hit send on it, but he's, um, he's fine. And I would, I would tell you this, an embarrassing interaction with the opposite sex can sometimes lead to like bad intros can lead to great follow-ups. Cause at least you've differentiated yourself in some weird, embarrassing way. And um, you know, maybe a year or two down the road, it's like, you know, that was really kind of cute in retrospect. I mean, I'm trying to really, you know, make this positive, but I, I'll, I'll tell you there, there've been a few over the years, um, where you were like, ah, man, I screwed this up. And then you didn't, you didn't screw it up. So I'm not saying that's happening for our pizza guy, but it's, um, it's at least a little bit of a follow-up because we keep having guys email and then they hear and then they do these follow-up emails that I get sent to me. And I, I you know, I'm just trying to uh, keep keep the content moving here. Although there is a thing that has dawned on me and that I've probably defaulted to truth too much, that Gladwell term in his last book. I'm still kind of big on that. Um, but there's, there's also part of me <laughs> reminding myself at times, hey, you know, the emailer could be the, the asshole, right? Like the emailer could actually be the one that's the clown. So like when we had the guy a couple weeks ago saying, how do we do this? I may want to dump my male friend. Um, what if the guy emailing is the one that sucks and the other guy's terrific, but we're only seeing it from the point of view from the emailer? They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, we'll do a quicker uh, work one here. We have a lot of these, so I try not to do them too often because I feel like it just kind of turns into like a personal work advice thing. Um, this is from Jake. And... Hey, Ryan, your advice and input on the pod inspired me to pursue, uh, pursue journalism, hoping to specifically do sports. I'm 26. I live in New York and decided to go back to school for my master's. Despite having done my undergrad in theater, I was able to write a few decent pieces and get into Columbia J School. Recently, you've been pretty pessimistic about students in J School, but I'm wondering what are the pitfalls I should be worried about, especially since the pandemic hit. Everything feels anxious. 
but you always struck me as a bet on yourself guy and I'm trying to do the same. Uh, this may be more career advice than life advice, but I'd love to hear your thoughts for aspiring writers, particularly those who want to do sports but struggle with how to generate original content without the access of being a respected professional, even if it's just portfolio building techniques and angles that would be awesome to hear. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a better myself guy, um, but I would have made different decisions, especially the last few years, if I had a wife and kids. I just would. Um, I probably wouldn't have put my family at risk with not knowing what my career situation is going to be. I would still be at ESPN right now. If I had a wife and kid, I'd, I'd still be at ESPN and, um, you know, figuring it out. And, you know, that's that's OK, too. That's not that's not a terrible thing to uh, to work at ESPN for like 20 something years. Uh, look, the, the biggest thing that I've always said to anybody that's going to um, to school for journalism or if you're just at Syracuse or if you're at Mizzou or, you know, it's, and it's all these amazing schools, Northwestern, um, all the schools in Boston. It's a lot of money. And I think your generation, I can't believe that this like something needs to be done about this, but it's not a high priority thing in the grand scheme of especially with everything that's happened this year, um, college tuition prices, but it's, it's just, it's, it's stealing. It's stealing from people when the idea that it's like, Oh no, don't worry about it. Just take on a ton of debt. But the, the escalation of, of what you guys have to pay and what you have to take on a debt is, is absurd and it's unfair. Um, so, but I'm not one that's like, Hey, just don't go to college cause it's expensive now. I just think it sucks that you guys have to pay what you have to pay. Uh, you know, for me, it was different because I wasn't going to be a reporter. I wasn't going to be somebody that was like in the locker room every day, you know, breaking stories and doing that. So I think there's some journalism things that I never really learned. Oh, well, I know I didn't um, because that's not the way I went about it. I just kind of got on the air in a very unconventional way of doing minor league baseball after bartending and selling insurance. So, I mean, you know, that's not exactly in anybody's playbook as I was getting ready to apply to go back to Syracuse. Now, I think for talking especially a radio show every day i was in a better situation because i'd already had some kind of you know not rough life experiences but the challenges of just being a guy you know navigating that post-college life and and trying to figure out all this shit out i mean it's a really it's a really challenging time in your life because you're like wait is this is this what it's all about like this can't be it right is it you know isn't there more to this um there has to be a little bit more or, you know, is anybody happy or, you know, can, can I just decide to go ahead and do some of these things? Cause there's just different mindsets that people have, right? Like some people have the mindset of, like, I remember one of my friends when we were hanging out right after college, he was like, what, you don't think you're going to make like this amount of money by the time you're 30? And I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to make that kind of, and he's just like, oh, he's like, I don't think that way. He's like, I just always expect to do well. And he, he was a really successful kid and it blew my mind that he was so confident in himself and it kind of inspired me a little bit to be like, yeah, why, why do I have to just decide? Why do I have to put these limitations on myself? Because things are challenging. I mean, you may be disappointed later, but um, there's, there's no reason to just start right out of the gate and being like, well, this life's tough and I'm probably not going to be very successful. So I'm not going to pursue anything. I mean, that doesn't seem like what's the whole point of any of this stuff, right? So I just worry about the numbers. I worry about um, places that solely like if you look at espn.com and the resources that they used to put into how many features and how many people were writing and it's just not the same it's not the same that it used to be the athletic hired a million people and some of them are really good friends of mine and i hope that all of these places like i'm not one of these guys that wants other places to go out of business because i'm at the ringer i want the industry to be solid 
because I mean, look at ESPN when we were there and we were on air and then all, all the people at ESPN started getting these massive pay bumps because Fox came in, I don't know, it was five or six years ago now, but when Fox came in and started up their thing, it increased uh, salaries across the board because there was more competition. So you're kind of an idiot if you do what I do and you hope everybody goes out of business because you know ultimately you're going to end up paying the price because there's not as much competition out there for people that are on the air. So I was always early on in the very, like I was very strong and like, hey, I'm going to do the opinion stuff and that's what I'm doing because that's what I enjoy. And if I'm not going to do it, then I don't want to do this. Um, I remember a local newspaper like in outside of Boston was like, Hey, will you start writing stuff for us on the Celtics? And I was like, Nope, I'm not doing that. Um, because I worry about, you know, if you're great, you're going to find a way, but there's just so many writers out there. And I think a lot of writers would even tell you on social media that, you know, it's, it's a really scary time and it's, and it's never been scarier than right now when we haven't had sports this whole time. And if college football doesn't happen, if there's delays with the NFL, if basketball is interrupted or baseball can't figure this thing out, if we have a second stage of sports stopping after they try to restart all of this stuff, um, I think the industry, I, I am, I'm worried about the industry, uh, in general. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm clearly, <laughs> so go get him, Jake. Uh, that's why I feel the way that I do just because of the math, but I've never tell you to not do it. Like, go for it. You're really young. Um, you're the same age I was when I first started looking at this thing. And, and I think everyone in life should try the thing that they want to try. And it's up to you to decide if it's still worth pursuing or if you have to pivot and, and do something a little bit more stable. But um, kind of the back to the original thought, like, why not, why not give it a shot? You know, if you're in a situation where you can, and it wasn't like anybody was helping me out financially. I just was like, okay, I don't care that I'm going to be absolutely broke for a long time. Like, I just didn't care. I was like, this is what I'm doing and nothing's going to get in my way. And when people were like, why don't you just get a normal job, get a regular steady paycheck, get health benefits, get, you know, get the normal grown up stuff. And I was like, eh, I'm just not. I'm not worried about it right now. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to let it get in the way of my decision. So you got to be a little single-minded about it too. So with that, Jake, um, go get him, man. All right, check us out uh, Thursday. We got Willie McGinnis. He's going to join the show, talk some football and some of the stuff that he's doing, which is great. And uh, please subscribe, rate, and review the Ryan Russell Podcast, the Ringer Podcast Network.